0: Okay, let's see. One, two, three, go. Here we go. Welcome back. Thank you very much for being patient. Hey, Pentecost 19, here we go. Lord, you've called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen. Very kind prayer from uh, one of the options for evening prayer, which is always a good start where you you don't quite know where you're going. Uh, does anybody need a handout? Anybody need one? Should I have one in front of you. Okay, we'll send some back. Thank you. Uh, can you help me? There's a couple. of Just raise your hand if you need one. It's better if you have one when you start. There's there's plenty. There's plenty of them to go around. Uh, Watch to see if you can find First Peter in your Bible. It's going to be uh, half an inch from the right, from the right side, from the right cover. So hold your Bible in front of you. Go back a half an inch. You'll be at First Peter. See if you can find it. Okay. You got it. So there are two letters, First and Second Peter. And uh, actually, I want—I actually want to start with a verse from Second Peter. So when you find First Peter, keep going and see if you can find uh, 2 Peter 3. I think one of the interesting things that's happened over the past couple of weeks with uh, the horrible weather has been the repeated response of people to say, we never knew it could be like this or we've never seen anything like that. And that does show in our generation uh, a lack of uh, experience, if you will. Um, Men who had been to World War II uh, regularly did not say such a thing. They had seen devastation on such a scale. Uh, or people who had been to uh, Hiroshima in the following years, you know, they, they had seen it. And in, in, some one, in some ways, people who are my age, my generation was really spared of war. So we, we really have, uh, while that's a favorable thing, we, we sometimes don't have the broad view, which people who have experienced horrible things actually have. And then uh, you come to 2 Peter, and if you get to 2 Peter 3, uh, you have a very interesting thing that happens with 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 1 Peter is probably a confirmation sermon. It's probably a a sermon that Peter wrote and then circulated to the churches in Asia Minor or the area which you as know as Turkey. Those were uh, four or five or six independent provinces uh, that, that sort of... Uh, you know were fit together on the map during the first century and uh you know christians sort of went everywhere and they made more christians as they went and they really knew and really gave themselves to apostolic authority you who were with me uh, a few years ago when we did luke you remember that saint luke's gospel uh in one verse four starts with a verse that says uh into this you were you were catechized. It's the word that we use for cate, catechism, which means into this you were drawn. You sat down, and you were quiet, and you listened as somebody taught you. And, and then Luke's gospel teaches the the Gentiles all the way through. And then at the end, you know, twenty four twenty four chapters later, he says, "Now see, we've catechized you into that." They were very serious about Bible study. They were very serious about training. They were very serious about the apostolic word, and they knew what our generation has often forgotten, the churches live and die by Bible study. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, my, you know, one of my great nervousnesses in the church in general and in our church in particular is that we will live and die by Bible study. We will also live and die by the divine service, but the divine service and Bible study do very, two very different things. At the divine service, it's nothing but given to you. You're just you're, All your receptors are fully on, taken in every gift you can get. Uh, but at the point of Bible study, it really is about the application of God's word to our life. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again to you, especially as we sort of think now into the future what we'll be doing, all the heavy lifting in a church is really done in Bible study. It's done here. It's not really done in voters' meetings. It's not really done in hallways. The heavy lifting is done here. If everybody comes to Bible study, voters' meetings are a breeze. The direction of the future is a breeze. It's here where we count the cost. It's here where we try to figure out what we're going to do. It's here how we try to understand going forward. And Peter knew that. He also knew it was impossible for him to go to all these churches all the time in Turkey, in Asia Minor. And so he writes these two letters, the fir- they're, and, they're, and they're somewhat different, and here's the reason why. The first one seems to be a baptismal sermon or a confirmation sermon. What seems to have happened is uh, that people were gathered, you know, through this long process. And you remember in the early church, uh, three years was the time for the new members class with a sponsor who came and vouched for you, brought you along. You know, sometimes people... We we four week or four months here. We sometimes go five months, depending on the group. You know, we go three or four months, and people think we're the oddest thing. And I, and I know that there are churches. I was at a, on a church tour a couple of months ago where you could come on a... It was a large Missouri Center church where it seemed that you could come on a Saturday and be a member on a Sunday. I mean, that is not the way of the scriptures. It is not the way of Christ. It is not the way of catechesis. It is not the way of apostolic tradition. So this was a big deal. And you remember in the early church too, Easter Vigil, they, they, when, they, when they sort of institutionalized it to be bringing adults at Easter Vigil, they would baptize them and then often keep them in the church for a week. They would have already taught them for, um, they would have already taught them for three years and then, uh, then after they're baptized, they say, y- you know, you don't really know anything. You need to stay here and we're going to tell you what just happened to you. Isn't that fascinating? So three years of study and they baptize you and they say, you need to call home. You're staying here for the week you don't really know what happened. We're, we're going to teach you something now. Well, that's what this is all about. So First Peter is, is a sermon, it seems, to the, to the baptized. Or, or, and I sort of talk about confirmation because uh, this is the way you talk to adults and those things sort of come together in an adult baptism. You know this about us, right? That if you are baptized as an adult here, uh, there, that, that is your confirmation. There's no higher level thing than being baptized. And we shoot you straight to the altar because we've done. We've done the teaching uh, normally we baptize your kids and we teach them later with adults. We do the teaching, then we baptize them and bring them to the altar. So that's what's happening in 1 Peter. You see, you will see in the book that about uh, four chapters in, it breaks off and starts to talk to the bigger congregation. So what it sounds like is Peter sent this letter, uh, this sermon disguised as a letter, and they had all the new converts up round about the front. And here's the instruction from the Apostle. And then, about chapter 4, Peter remembers that all the rest of the congregation is there, the sponsors and everybody else who belongs. And he says, well, something here for you now, too. So there's a double bit in 1 Peter. Uh, The first bit is about being baptized, what you're going into. And then the second bit is about you who've been around for a while, what your responsibilities are. And... The third bit, then, is in 2 Peter 3, if you just have a look at this. Now I'm going all the way back to where I started, which was we sort of marvel at devastation now, and, and many people my age haven't had that kind of experience. Um, you know, I slept through a tornado once, and it sort of, uh, it did. Ra- it actually did a cool thing. My aunt forgot me. I haven't spoken to her since. <laughs> I, was about, I was about eight, and upstairs, everybody to the basement, I was kind of a hard sleeper. And so then uh, later, I hear them coming back up saying, what's the deal? And then they look at me like, where have you been? Well, I was asleep, nobody let me know. But it did actually weave a lawn chair through the barbed wire fence in back. That was cool to see, back and forth. And it also tore down the Cedar Rapids drive-in, which is big news for us, okay, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's a big deal when the drive-in is devastated. But, uh you apparently haven't been to Cedar Rapids, okay. So, uh, in any case, we don't have sort of, we, we, we don't sort of have this in our, it's, it's remarkable to listen to people talk about this, and yet on the other hand, uh, that's nothing compared to what's coming. Okay, 2 Peter 3, uh, 10. But the day of the Lord, and your Bible would have helped you had it capitalized D-Day, the big D day of the Lord will come like a thief you know, like without warning, like nobody is expecting it, like Jesus, that old thief, will show up. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. Boom. Now that'll be cataclysmic. That'll be devastation like I've never seen devastation. And then he ends up, since everything's going to be dissolved... So as you're driving home today, look around and remind yourself that everything you see is going to be dissolved. It's all going to be burned up. It's all going to go away, which for some people is a great cause of hopelessness. Well, what's the point? You know, if we live, we die. What's the point? No, Peter goes exactly the other way, because even though it's going to be dissolved, you and I know that those things that you see outside are not the end of the matter. Since all these things are about to be dissolved, and here's the point, What sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And that, you see, is your task as one who is baptized. That's your task as one who who has been to the altar this morning. The real question is, and this should be the question for you, what does it mean for me to be holy and godly? What What sort of life is holy and godly? This if you, if you understand this properly, this does so much good for the church. On the one hand, it crushes anything in us that is not holy and not godly. You remember occasionally, you know, they'll say, Paul to the Corinthians, you know, th- those things shouldn't even be named among you. I mean, people should be able to look at, rather than people say, and looking at a congregation and say, um, they're unkind, they're not generous, they gossip. You know, Paul says, those kind of things don't even get named among God's people. You know, it's not, those things are to be crushed down by the holiness of God's law, and then you all resurrected uh, in the holiness of the gospel. So it's a very serious task, but it's very easily, very, very easily described. What sort of persons ought you to be in holiness and godliness? That's the point. It's the only point. And everything that's done in the church is a cipher, trying to figure out what it means to be holy and godly in this time and in this place. That's it. And we may not have tolerance for those things that are unholy and ungodly. We certainly can be pastoral, and we certainly can be long-suffering, and uh, we can certainly take the edge off a bit, but we, at the end of the day, may not tolerate that which is unholy and ungodly. It's not to be named among us. Someday the world's going to end, and the Lord will be back, Matthew 26, having a look round about things. Uh, and when that comes, when the heavens are dissolved, uh, Christians are meant to receive it with open arms. Here it comes, and this is for me, not against me. The only way that that happens is when we are brought into grace through word and sacrament. When we are given the life of those who are baptized and have the body and blood of Christ put into us. And that's what First Peter's all about. So if you spin back then just to First Peter 1, uh, that's where we want to go. Okay? First Peter 1. And I'm just going to shoot you through about 12, uh, about 12 verses, and we'll see what we can do today, but maybe just to read first. And as always, with these shorter books, it actually wouldn't um, you know it's no longer than reading a magazine article. If you could sit down, if you begin to read this over and over again. You can read this in 15, 20 minutes, start to finish. It'll get easier as you go. You'll remember bits and pieces. Pretty soon it'll become part of you. It wouldn't be a bad exercise from now until Christmas when we're done or whenever we're done for you to read this once a day. That wouldn't be a bad exercise. You sort of read it over and over again. Um, I remember Arthur just this summer in a lecture that he gave talked about how with his guys he reads Galatians to them on the first day of his Galatians class, and I think it's the most boring thing they've ever heard. I think he said it takes him about... 30 minutes. Uh, You know, they can barely sit still for it. Then they go through and they do all the Greek and all the exegesis and they see all the pieces and how it's put together and how it fits into church doctrine. And the last thing he does for the class is reads the text and then walks out of the room. And for those guys, it is a seminal experience for them to hear that and understand and make the connections and see that that's the way the text is meant to be read. You know, you remember that there weren't chapters and verses early on. It was just the apostle took off and wrote. So you might try that as an exercise just for yourself. Uh, you just might, you might give it a go. So I'm just going to do 12 verses here, and uh, we'll see how far we, we go here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Chosen and destined by God, the Father, and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's, great, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy as the outcome of your faith you obtain the salvation of your souls. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired about this salvation. They inquired what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ within them, when predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things which have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. That is one sentence. All right. Learn your Greek. Crazy stuff, huh? Uh, it's one sentence not because uh, he runs on. It's one sentence because he's exceptionally talented. It's one sentence because he knows how to put together a sentence that long and make it all good. So I'm at point one then. Um, what kind of person ought you to be, holy and godly, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming? So how's your life working out is the question. I have a Greek friend whose grandmother, wherever, it's, it's, whenever he says, uh, grandmother, I'm off, to, I'm off to China on business, it's too much. This is grandma, you know, uh, the new girlfriend, it's too much. For his grandmother, everything is too much. Everything is a challenge. She's a Greek grandmother, she's very nice, but she worries and she loves him. I have the sense, um, sometimes in you, sometimes in me, that it's all too much. So, um, one thing to be interested in is to look out for hopelessness. Um, There is is a way of hopelessness that can devastate you, and that's the sort of thing that can uh, really render you uh, impossibly... uh, uh, may render you useless to the Lord, best to put it that way. And that would be the way of Satan and the way to have then been overcome by... Uh, the sorrows of the world. Now, that's a bit easier to spot. You know, people sort of curl up in a ball and um, can't do anything about that, and that's a fearsome thing to to see or experience. But short of that, and here is where things, where we we may have to be a bit more clever, I think. Short of that is just the malaise of uh, one day after the next, or sort of the bumping through life as if nothing really matters too much, or sort of the aimlessness, which you can often find in persons and also find in churches. They just don't really know what it is that they're all about. I mean, I hope to God that you, you I hope that you could say, somebody said to me after the sermon last night, uh, I got it. I, I, I'm remorseful, because I'm a sinner, but, but, but my Heavenly Father still loves me. Now what do I do? And I thought, that's actually a great response, but then, you know, I said, you know what to do. No, I don't. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, Uh, Christ, scripture, prayer, the divine service, generous giving, uh, acts of mercy, and a winsome witness. Oh, yeah, okay, I got it. I mean, you've heard this over and over again. You all do know what to do. You know that we're given to Christ, and he's always at point number one. You know that he listens to you, so it's good for you to be praying. You know that he speaks in scripture, so it's good for you to be reading. You know that he gives at the divine service. It's good for you to be receiving. And you know that he puts people in front of you to whom and for whom you can do some good, and so best for you to be generous and merciful and to be able to speak a kind word of law and gospel to them, that they be saved, you know what to do. It's in the doing of it. And one of the troubles, I mean, you're, you're smart enough now, you're sophisticated enough to know what the doing is. One of the troubles, though, is to not sort of keep that in front of you To be aimless in some ways is to be as disabled as to be hopeless. Contra that is 1 Peter, who is all about hope. So, uh, if you're hopeless, uh, hold on. And I've sort of, uh, with that, kind of shot you through all the way to point number two. Um, This letter, this sermon disguised as a letter. Okay, and actually probably flip to point number three. Everything's connected. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, um, for you all and for me, for us to sort of, uh, we're sort of used to hearing that. Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ. But there weren't that many apostles, friends. Uh, and there's none around today. Apostle in the technical term uh, meant somebody who'd seen Jesus Eyeball to eyeball, right? So Paul can say he was an apostle because Damascus Road, uh, he got to see him eyeball to eyeball. More important, uh, perhaps, than that, or, or if I could draw you into a respectfulness of that, when we say one holy Christian, Catholic, apostolic church, what we mean is that we are in the line of and respectful of what the apostles delivered, so this isn't to elevate Peter any more than the Lord Himself elevates him. The Lord chose Peter, and uh, so we, we we tend Peter. Where you could possibly go wrong here is to split Peter off from Jesus. This is a regular thing now uh, in all the uh, normal places where there's friction in the church. Um, how the supper is to be administered, Um, the use of women in the church, the service of women in the church, the ordination of practicing homosexuals, um, the use of scripture to reprove (coughs) as well as to encourage. Uh, In the ecumenical confession of faith, the confession of faith between churches, in all these places where there is friction, there is regularly uh, the abandonment of the apostles or the suggestion that Jesus said something different than the apostles. Peter is trying to tell you that what he's got here is what he got from Jesus. I'm an apostle, and the only reason I'm an apostle is because Jesus made me one. That's what pastors say about them, too. Someday Gainik will be a pastor. He'll be a pastor only because Jesus makes him into a pastor. As that's the way it works. So Peter, an apostle, is crammed with meaning. And what it does for you then, is already sets you at the point where you're now engaged in the catechesis that Luke spoke about. You're sitting in the dust with your hands open, listening to somebody who's way smarter than you are because that person has looked eye to eye into Jesus' face. All of that is contained. And those people who would have been baptized in those churches across Asia Minor, they would have nodded along with that. That's right, Peter's about to speak, be still. You know, turn off your cell phones. Last night, new record for cell phones going off during the sermon—either two or three. Oh. I wasn't sure if they were calling each other, talking about it. It was it was very interesting, you know. So we're going for four at eleven fifteen. Okay. So P- Paul, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Um, you got a map in the back of your Bible? You want to peek at that? You got a map? See if you can find a map that says something like uh, Paul's missionary journeys or uh, Rome, uh, the Roman world in the time of Caesar. Pick one that looks like that. See if you can find something. You got it? Can you find one like that? Yep. And can you define? Can you see things sort of divided up that way? Have a look at it. Yeah, maybe look, at, if you got one of St. Paul's journeys, that'll probably be okay for you. Now, can you, are you good enough to be able to locate Jerusalem? Can you do that? No? Maybe? you got the Mediterranean Sea running across the middle, right? On the right side, you know, a quarter of the way up is Jerusalem. South is Egypt, and straight north of Egypt, where you hit land again, uh, are all these places. You see them there? Bithynia, Pontus... Galatia, Cappadocia, Silesia, you got that? Those people are a long way from Jerusalem. I mean, you remember Acts started by Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria (coughs) and to the ends of the earth. These people are getting closer to the ends of the earth. Now, they are scattered, they are exiled, they are homeless, Uh, they are persecuted. In the first century, it's, it's difficult to say already that this is, um, when you, in the dating of this book, uh, if you think of, of Peter dying around 65 A.D., um, the great persecutions have uh, not sort of come full blast yet. But we do know that there were persecutions locally, and while that was not always the letter of the law, um, sometimes the Romans could turn a blind eye to that, and sometimes they even be responsible for that. And so there is a sense that even though you don't have these catastrophic persecutions as you did in the first couple centuries of the church, that people are already being injured, chased out, scattered, moved around, and made horribly uncomfortable. So all of that is going on. Um, all of that is going on here. They are, they are people who are troubled, uh, far less off, so far less well off than we are. And it's to these people that Peter writes. Um, Peter is the one, you remember, who was so impulsive. And one of the things I'd like for you to watch for across the course of this letter is how kind he has become. You remember it's Peter who, uh, out of the boat and walked on the water and sunk. It's Peter who tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross, and Jesus had to call him Satan. It's Peter who lopped off, you know, the ear on the servant. It's Peter who said, I'll never deny you. And then, you know, he did. And it's Peter who was grieved when Jesus said to him three times at the end of John's gospel, uh, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He's, he's, you remember, he's crushed by that. Uh, you know I love you. you. You know I love you. It's the end, it's the end of John twenty twenty one. 21. You know I love you, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, uh, get busy then. Do what you've been given to do. You're an apostle. Do as you've been given to do. And there is such a kindness in the way that you would think it's almost a different person, but honestly, you know people who have been brought into the church and met Jesus, and they become a different person. So all of that going on here in Peter, an apostle to these exiles. Now chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood grace and peace be multiplied to you. What I hope you'll, I hope you are under, uh, you're, right at, you're right at number four. You'd think if a guy makes a sheet out, he'd be able to follow it, wouldn't you? Do you think I could, I could be, you'd think I could, write at number four, how's that? Sorry, thank you for asking. There's a running ticker in my mind that's just, you know, just, it's, like a, it's, your, it's like your old eight track. It just goes around and around, okay? Yeah, yeah, so I'm just, okay. What I hope that you'll see in that, or I hope, I hope what re- your bells go off, I hope that the first thing you hear is Holy Trinity. Um, I hope that you understand, or I hope that you see, that he's telling them exactly what they've been taught in their catechesis. That there is a Father who has a Son, and by that Son you come to the Father. But the Son is only known through the Holy Spirit. So by that Spirit you come to the Son, and by that Son you come to the Father. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you um, when we say the Creed 1, 2, 3, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that is the way that things proceed from forever. But your experience is exactly opposite of that. Your experience is actually 3-2-1. The Holy Spirit delivers the Son, and the Son delivers the Father. And so Peter makes reference to all those things now. Um, chosen, or predestined, or foreknown, uh, from forever by the Father. I simply uh, punt to the mysteries of what I cannot understand. I know no more how you are predestined from forever than I know how uh, the Son is eternally born of the Father and yet was never born. There are some things uh, within timelessness. We who live within time have the inability to understand. And this is why we always warn you about Trying to use election or predestination as a starting point for theology. It's always a loser's game. The reason it's a loser's game is you can't understand it. I mean, I cannot explain to you, nor can anyone else, even though they pretend to. No one can tell you how someone is elect from eternity. No one can tell you that. You know what I can tell you about? I can tell you that Jesus' death on the cross is for you and is yours in baptism. And because of that, you'll be saved. That's clear. That's 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 the clearest possible thing. No one can tell you how someone is predestined from eternity. We live in time. Our minds are finite, and we do not understand what the infinite mind of God does in timelessness. We just do not understand it. So all we do is confess it. And uh, someday, when you're in heaven. You simply nod along. As you're going through the receiving line, you might just toss in a line that says, well, thank you very much for predestining me from eternity. That's, that's, that's the point where you know when, when you can begin to talk about that. But till then, um, there's not much you can say. So you are, in fact, known, and this is a great comfort. You're known by the Father from eternity, chosen from eternity, um, Sanctified by, and I, I actually changed the order on my, I gave you the, I gave you the creedal order under number four. Let me, and, and I'm going to do that, I'm actually going to spin that here too. Consecrated with the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? You're consecrated with the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, where did that ever happen to you? And there are two answers, I think, at least. One is you remember in uh, in Exodus 24, uh, they've had a bit of a rough go there, coming out of Egypt. Do you remember this? And about Exodus 20, he gives the people the Ten Commandments, and then or ten words would be a kinder way to speak about them. The Lord gives the people the ten words, and he says, "Are you all in on this?" Moses says, "Are you all in?" The Lord would like to know, "Are you all in?" After all, he's done for you. Took you out of slavery, made you people, and brought you through the Red Sea, and reveals himself to you through Moses, the apostle. Yeah, seen God face to face. At least, insofar as such a thing is possible, of the Father. And he says to him in Exodus 24, "Are you all in?" And the people say, "We're in." And you should hear in the background. Do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? I do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? I do. And in Jesus Christ, his only son? I do. This This is no different than what happens to you. And then you remember, there's a sacrifice, and the blood is gathered up, and part is spilled on the altar, and then the rest of the blood, you remember what happens? Splashes it on the people. Sprinkles them with the blood of the sacrifice which should make your Holy Supper bells go off, and also your Holy Baptism bells. You remember how in Romans 6, verse 3, if you are baptized, then you share in Christ's death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his glory, and in his new life. If you are baptized, Whatever happened to Jesus happened to you. That's why on Easter Vigil, what happens at Easter Vigil is the rehearsal of all the big Bible stories. Why do we do that? To have a history lesson? No. We do that because those stories are your stories. Creation, that's your story. Through the Red Sea, that's your story. The Promised Land is your story. Three men in the fiery furnace, that's your story. If it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. How does his blood get on you 2,000 years ago, 4,000 miles away? How does it get to you? Through through baptism and through the supper. And that then, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does for you. So, you are uh, chosen and destined by God the Father, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And sanctified, or hallowed, or sainted, or forgiven. Not for nothing. You're forgiven to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. That's why you're forgiven. It's the gospel for today. You know, and you can, only, you can only hear that in the proper way. If you, can, if you can come to understand obedience as a gospel word, if you can understand obedience as being invited into the holiness and godliness of the universe, only if you can understand obedience that way can you hear it as a gospel word. If you can, if you can understand obedience as being invited into the will and work of God himself, if you can understand that what you're made for is to be in step with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you can understand that, if you can hear obedience as a gift and not as a curse, then you understand your baptism. And if you don't, you don't. It's just as simple as that. It really boils down to this. I remember once there was a, there was a and this was a seminary, I remember, I remember... Um, a professor preaching who was a New Yorker, which always sort of sharpens the point. Um, and uh, he was also in deaf ministry, which was a fascinating thing, people who signed. They learned to speak very directly and clearly. It's a very helpful thing. And I can remember him preaching at seminary saying um, to the guys who were sort of sitting there, maybe, the trouble, maybe, maybe you have so much trouble with all this because you don't believe all this. And I, I can remember being um, so heartily offended by that. And yet, uh, now with more years in the church, you know, I, I, I find myself at the point of saying, you know, maybe the reason you have so much trouble with this is because you don't believe all this. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a pretty harsh word of the law. But now the other side of that is, the other side of that is, can you hear, you're at point number two. Can you hear, you're nothing but roadkill. Can you hear, on your own, you're a dead man. Can you hear, welcome to the obedience of the Father? Can you hear that as gospel? And if you can, then you've got it. There was that brilliant little quote by Norman Nagel in the margin a few weeks ago where it says, if you, it was, it was tied to the gospel about, you know, my, 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 my yoke is easy, my burden is light, where he said, if, 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 if being a Christian is something that burdens you, you most certainly have it wrong. Which means then, um, if you're baptized and you belong to Christ, you, you and I really need to rethink what's cooking around here. I mean, we really need to rethink collectively whether or not what we care about most is living out our baptism. Which means, I mean, the bare minimum is being here and being in scripture and you know, having family devotions and reading the text yourself and saying, the bare minimum, that's just sort of, That's just sort of maintenance for the Christian life. That's just being shielded against all the things that would attack before the world dissolves. But beyond that, and this is a a mark of churches that are are more mature and less self-interested, is the understanding that you are given into the Father's business for a witness to the world in acts of mercy and words of law and gospel. And that, you see, and here, and not just, you know, just as an aside, you, you and I only have so much time in the world, uh, you only, uh, let's see, you would, you would, well, if you're doing one thing, you can't do another. So you, you wouldn't want to be wasting any of the time or the energy that you've been given in your baptismal life on anything less than full-blast holiness or godliness, And you would do kindness to your friends in the church when you see them wasting time on anything that is not holy or not godly to suggest that their baptism might be better lived out uh, in another way. On the other hand, there is nothing better than a church that can agree, we're all baptized and it's all time for us to get busy in the way of what's been given to us by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we're meant for. See, And that's why the entire Pentecost season where we're meant to talk about how we grow up together, and the church doesn't really talk about us at all. It's always about Jesus coming to us, and Jesus giving us something, and Jesus recruiting us, and Jesus telling us a new thing, and Jesus showing us a new way that we could be of service to the Father. Because the gospel is always about Jesus, and it's not about you, and it's not about me. See? And now you have to think of people who are sitting in the dark in Asia Minor who have just been baptized. And when they hear this letter read, what they hear is I'm throwing my lot in with Christ. That's what you need to hear. And that's what we're meant to hear as well. Man, am I late. All right. So um, that's only, you know, to point four. You might read around a little bit Um, We'll come play a little bit more next week But start to read And see if you can sort out the rest of this Day after day, have a go But this is very much about um, What it means to be Christian And it's very much about living within the hope That the Lord gives us Not at some sort of middle level Of just sort of fumbling around And certainly not at the point of hopelessness Um, There is only one hope, that's in Christ And that delivered to you by the Father Through the Spirit Good news So bless you, let's pray and let's go